At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 686th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have a couple who spent a year eating only what they could catch, grow, harvest, or raise. We're talking with Chris Hall and Steph Lowy about loving off the land. When the pandemic first hit, Chris and Steph found themselves without jobs, living on a small island, while grocery stores were running out of items and supply chains were breaking down. They asked themselves, what would happen if things got worse? Could we survive without grocery stores? They decided to take a 365-day challenge and find out. And that's what we're going to hear about today. Welcome to the show today, Chris and Steph. Thanks for having us. Hi. Oh my gosh. I uh, saw your YouTube channel and it's like, man, I want to talk to them. Yeah. (laughs) So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, absolutely. As, uh, as you mentioned, we, uh, found ourselves at the beginning of the pandemic in a bit of a a weird spot. We both been working in hospitality, which is where we met and, you know, that whole sector kind of shut down and, and we were without jobs and, we live in a, a small island here on the west coast of Canada, so supply is even a little bit more harder than the mainland with things coming over on ferry and you know only two or three times a week and things like that. So people were bulk buying flour and certain items and we're running out. And yeah, I think Steph and I both grew up in fairly privileged upbringings where we never had to think about where our food was coming for. You're in an urban setting, so never been to a farm. It was just, you picked it up from the grocery store, got it from the restaurant and you know it was never something we really had to think about. And that kind of put things in perspective for us, just how reliant we were on grocery stores and corporate chains. And wait, hold on here. You mean at the beginning of the pandemic, you'd never gardened? So, well, we, got, <laughs> we, we had more of a hobby garden. So we had a small uh, garden out front had for yeah, four years, but it was, I think your typical hobby garden with carrots and some tomato plants and kale and lettuce. And that was about it. So hold on, hold on. Did you say carrot? One carrot. Carrots, carrots. Wow. <laughs> it was it was kind of the thing where you go out on a really nice day and spend the afternoon drinking and uh, gardening, but it wasn't like we didn't put much effort into it when it was the winter or the cold months. <laughs> Got it. And then on March 2020, proverbial shit hits the fan, and you're going, "Oh my gosh!" So what was next? That was the question. Was kind of what you know what would happen if it got worse, and you know we weren't the grocery stores weren't running out to the extent that we weren't going to be able to eat, but it just kind of put things in perspective for us. You know, we didn't know how bad things were going to get at the beginning of the pandemic and you know, what would happen if we were cut off and, you know, could we survive on our own without having, you know, the corporations and these big farms and things providing us with our most basic needs. So yeah, I'd always kind of been interested of it. And I'd done lots of fishing and crabbing and stuff here uh, on the Island growing up and, 
kind of came up with the idea just to, to see if we could survive for a year with, uh, yeah, just eating what we could catch, grow or raise. So what was the seed of the idea that got this whole thing started? Obviously, there's the pandemic coming, maybe, you know, not so much in the grocery stores. How did you get to, oh, my gosh, we're going to see what we can do for the next year? Yeah, um, <laughs> funny story. I think uh, Chris came to me with it, but I think it's something that he had been thinking of for a long time, just curious about not really doing it seriously because we didn't live the lifestyle where it would be possible to do that. But then after losing our jobs and kind of seeing that flip in the world, Chris was like, well, it's, it's kind of now or never. And I'm doing this. Are you going to join? <laughs> and I had to make the quick decision if I wanted to leave the island <laughs> or stay and do it with Chris. But yeah, I, I think it kind of, it was his seed that was planted, but yeah. <laughs> so you make this decision. It's day one. We're going to do this. Like, what did you have to do to get prepared and to actually get started? There are lots of things. I think one of the original things was to uh, get chickens and get the chicken coop built because that was ah. we never had chickens before. So we did that. So it was a long time into our journey before we got our first egg, unfortunately. But yeah, it takes about to- four months, doesn't it? Yeah. Five, yeah. It was going into winter and we're pretty moderate up here. But a lot of people were saying that they won't lay during the winter. And I think we got to December and we were freaking out that they were going to lay until you know march of next year because it was so cool but mm-hmm. luckily luckily they started coming through yeah about the yeah. four month mark i think and yeah. doing that and turkeys and ducks and lots of fishing and seafood for the first couple months to get us through while things were getting organized mm-hmm. before so the, yeah before the challenge even started we um had to pack up all the food in our mm-hmm. house and donate it to friends and family and stuff so everything down to the seasonings that we use, the salt, the flour, every single piece of edible product in the house had to be taken out and either given away or donated. So that was quite the sad afternoon, I think. Wow. All right. All right. So you took this really seriously. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you got rid of all your groceries that weren't local. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We didn't have a part in it. We had to get rid of it because as much as we were really excited for this, we knew if there was a bit of a backup, we might push it or something like that. So we didn't want any temptations left in the house. Wow. All got shipped away. (laughs) All right, cool. So now you're past day one. You've got your kitchen and house cleaned out of anything that's illegal. What next? Lots of days on the boat yeah hit, hit the ocean so yeah. um we knew we were going to kind of be relying on that off the start because you know our meat chickens weren't ready we weren't getting eggs there was lots of blackberries and things to forage around the island but we relied really heavily on seafood so i was out uh-huh. fishing these days and catching crabs and prawns and things like that and i think that was the interesting part is people i think when we announced we were going to start this challenge they had visions of us like in the forest eating pine needles and you know <laughs> foraging nuts on the ground and things and then we post some pictures of our meals and they're like you're eating like dungeness crab and prawns and halibut be like this doesn't look so bad what are you you complaining about yeah yeah (laughs) interesting so really until you could get a garden growing and get some significant food in the garden you're relying on the ocean yeah yeah Yeah, we had like like we said a small little hobby farm but for those couple of weeks when we decided to do the challenge, we planted like crazy and tried to get as much in the ground before um, the weather started to shift. And, and I think, I mean, we would have loved to have 
done more, but it it got us through. Mm. The kale survived the winter beets and um, rutabaga and all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. and yeah. so this you start. When did you start this? August third. August third, twenty twenty. August third. Wow. Okay. So you don't have much time to get. I mean, you you probably had thirty days of growing season left. Yeah. 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 So we so- had we had started prepping about three weeks before that at least. And then, um, we had some, some carrots, carrots <laughs> in the ground, um, that we were just praying do well, do well. <laughs> and they did, they did pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we had a bunch of vegetables going already. And then, uh, yeah, like Steph said, I think we started planning or decided we were going to do it about three or four weeks before we started. So we did uh, a, pa- a panic plant of just about everything that we could. And Okay. And started for the end of the season and yeah. we're pretty lucky here. People don't think of it in Canada, but we're actually in a zone nine growing zone. Right. Yeah. Um, which I think is equivalent in the U S to about an eight, but uh, so we're pretty lucky. A lot of our things will go right through the winter. So we, uh, we knew we could rely on that a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, cool. So th- that's like months one to three. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and so by the time you're hitting months two and three, you're getting meat birds. I heard you say meat birds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and were you raising turkeys for meat as well? Yes. Correct, yeah. yeah. So tell us about the meat that you're raising and how you're going about that. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that honestly was probably one of the toughest parts of the challenge for us. And, you know, like I said, we grew up fairly spoiled and, you know, picked up our chicken in the grocery store and you almost right. don't even think of it as an animal because you've never seen it really in that form when it's hitting mm-hmm. your plate. So um, I think that was one of the most challenging things for both of us was, you know, taking a life for the first time um, with one of our turkeys was the first thing that we harvested. And, and doing that was, I think, an emotional moment yeah. for, for both of us doing that and, and kind of puts things in reality. And it gave us a whole new appreciation for our food, I think, and an appreciation for that life. And we've become really good now at making sure that we use actually every part of the animal that we possibly mm-hmm. can. And, you know, not a single thing gets wasted. And we've tried to find creative ways to really utilize that. So we've, you know, made our own bone meal from bones that are left over. Oh, um, nice. You know, we've eventually got some pigs down the line. So any kind of extra stuff that we can uh, cook off and give to the pigs or any little miniatures of scraps end up in the crab traps, which kind of keeps the circle going. So yeah. we even uh, did blood meal. So we had yeah, saved blood the meal. blood oh, wow. and used it in our garden for planting. And mm-hmm. it was interesting because we did a bit of a side-by-side comparison of I'm using blood and bone meal and just nothing at all. And, and it's incredible how much better the bone and blood meal mm-hmm. um, helped. Made things grow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I hear you on the emotional part about 15 years ago here at the urban farm, I was still eating chicken. And so I decided I needed to know how that happened. So mm-hmm. I raised over the course of uh, a year, I raised 25 meat birds yeah. three different times. And I rose, raised a couple of turkeys and it, it is a process. I'm pretty much a vegetarian now. And that was part of the perpetuating uh, factor for me was the, to, to push me that direction was, you know, I now know what it takes and I'm willing to pay 25 or 30 or $40 for an organic chicken if we're going to go there. For sure. I think that was um, something I learned quite a bit in this challenge. I remember going to the grocery store and being like, oh, chickens, uh, the price of chickens gone up again. And kind of complaining about it but then once you do it yourself you're like no I almost <laughs> paid those extra yeah. couple of dollars because you know 
it's most likely getting a better life and yeah. and it's more work that's being put into it. So yeah, exactly. Wow. All right. So now let's say we're six months into this this project. Mm-hmm. So it's you're you're in the new year. It's like January ish time frame. What what are you eating? We were relying again heavily kind of on the ocean. We were doing a lot of um, seaweed. Um, and seaweed salad because that had iodine that we were lacking because we were oh. salt that had iodine in it. We were getting our salt from the ocean. So seaweed was a really good substitute for our diet. And I think that was kind of one of the big mm-hmm. staples that we had. It got pretty meat heavy in the winter. Too, yeah, to it did. Yeah. 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 We, yeah. You know, we had kale and things like that, that we, we had lots of, but it kind of got monotonous as well. So um, yeah, once we had chickens and turkeys and eggs and ducks as well and started on quail so those those winter months up until february got got pretty meat heavy yeah for sure and and you're not getting anything from anybody else through this process this is only what you can harvest because i know when eric from epic gardening did it he if he found something he could trade it that was one of his games so what how are you working on that yeah yeah our rule was kind of that we had to be involved in it so we couldn't like just go trade salmon for you know, flour, and then we can bake with it. But like, we had people on the islands that had plum trees, so we could go and pick the plums off of their trees and turn that into food. But we had to go and physically do the work. And it couldn't be like, you know, someone's got whatever, a pack of sugar in their cupboard, and we're going to go trade something for it or something like that. So we foraged for lots of things or lots of abandoned orchards on this island, actually. Um, Oh, an apple orchard. So it wasn't all just from our property, but we had to be the ones going and foraging or picking them or planting them and, and doing that kind of thing. Wow. All right. So now we're nine months in, what are you eating? Yeah. Nine months. Uh, it started to kind of shift back into, Oh my goodness, this is all really good food. And um, yeah, our, our garden yeah. was starting to look really green and great. And we were putting in lots more garden beds, converting kind of the whole property into growing growing area so probably we probably harvested our first pig around the nine month mark so that was a nice boost for us as well so i said i mean you know bacon and eggs and some normal like (laughs) eat meals that people enjoy and yeah and and pork and ham and things like that so that was really nice at that point too and yeah that's back into the spring so days are getting longer and certainly a little more optimistic again after the winter and how on earth are you learning how to do all of this butchering chickens (laughs) fowl (laughs) a pig yeah, yeah. Yeah. Love trial and error. We do have a lot of support on the island. I actually have a friend who owns a farm, um, which is actually, we're just on, uh, and I mean, it's an island, but it's more of a kind of rural area, I guess. We have neighbors close on both sides. We actually can't have moved animals on our property. So he gave us a little pen where we could keep our pigs there. And so we did have a lot of support from other people on the island that taught us things. And mm-hmm. we had a bee mentor when we started beekeeping and different ah. things. So yeah. Um, yeah. Honey. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that was yeah. big for a sugar substitute for sure. Yeah. yeah I'll bet. Yeah. And so you did this for a year. What are some of the things that you learned along the way? Oh my goodness. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> the list is long, but I think um, for me, my biggest takeaway and learning is just, um, I mean, it's, it's hard work, but it's doable. Maybe not for everyone. I know people's lives are crazy, but it's not something I would be confident in before this. Like I said, I didn't really have many skills going into it, but I think just learning that it's possible and it's so rewarding to do it. Chris? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things for 
me was how much edible food is around us all the time that we just never even think about. And, you know, even if you're not growing mm. food or even, you know, if you're in an apartment in the city, if you go out for a walk or, you know, things that I would never even consider eating that are edible, but because they're not processed and in grocery stores, we don't think about them as edible or we never consider eating them. So, you know, we, one of the things I miss the most was coffee. So quick YouTube search and some research and, oh, you can make a coffee substitute from dandelion roots and dandelion oh, yes. edible and stinging nettles edible. And we have this horrible weed up here in the gardens called horsetail that I spend months every year trying to get out of the garden and lo and behold that's edible and you can cook the shoots of that so um nice amazing to see the amount of things that were you know not that you didn't even have to grow on your own that are just in front of your face every day that you don't right they're just um, there yeah yeah and something that we kind of weren't expecting when we were going into this was how much waste is produced just Mm. in food packaging and the waste we like we barely had any garbage at all Mm. during the challenge because we weren't buying processed packaged foods and that's i'd say 95 percent of what our garbage entails and i think that was like a super rewarding thing to accomplished but also just such a big eye-opener you can't get almost anything nowadays without some sort of packaging on it right yeah that's it's mm-hmm. it crushes me every time i'm because we live in phoenix 4.8 million people we're right in the middle uh, you know we can raise some food in our yard and that's my challenge moving to north carolina is you know how much can we actually raise but every time i drop something in the faux recycle bin yeah i call it a faux recycle bin because most of it doesn't get recycled anymore yeah Uh, it just it's like oh man there's got to be a better way yeah Yeah. and i mean you think about how many people are in the world and i mean not everyone is as conscious as you can be which is totally their thing but to think about whatever we're doing times seven billion billion people eight billion people yeah it's, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. So was there ever a moment where it was like, all right, this is, nah, I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> and what was it? And how did you get past it? Uh, I think more yeah. so probably for me than for you. <laughs> yeah, when we first started, we weren't getting a ton of calories. It was all seafood and stuff. So mm-hmm. we weren't getting eggs. We weren't getting chicken, like we said. So at the beginning months were probably the hardest. And we both lost a lot of weight, but Steph's skinnier than I am. So she got to a bit of a scary point where we were she lost another couple pounds. We were going to call it quits and, and, uh-huh. uh, and not risk the health thing. And yeah. luckily we started getting eggs, I think like a week or two after we said that, and that got some more calories into the diet and then mm-hmm. kept adding things on. So we didn't have to, but yeah, it got close to be honest. Yeah. I mean, some people cut out like caffeine or sugar or gluten, but to cut it out all at once in right. one day, and then those energy shifts that your body's just trying to get used to it. And you try and put in a full day of gardening and loving off the land, but it, it takes a lot and it's, it's tiring when you're trying to adjust to the new way of living. So Yeah. And bit. so it seems like the first three months were a struggle. By the time you got to months 9, 10, 11, 12, it was like, Whoa! you yeah. know, the, the, the skies opened up and everything worked really well. What moment in there was where you got to a place where, oh man, this is why we're doing this. Did you have an epiphany moment like that? I think there was a lot of little ones throughout, but I think once we got through January, um, Mm -hmm. it was like, I can see the end in sight. There's no way we're giving up now. We've done so much. There's so much more variety and 
it was just it's more it was more exciting looking at how little time we had left rather than it feeling like oh my gosh this is never gonna end <laughs> right yeah wow and i found you on youtube and i found you on youtube because you know eight months ago heidi and i started looking at moving elsewhere and yeah. you know you guys popped up and and like i said earlier it's like oh wow i want to talk to them tell me about your youtube channel and the response that you've gotten from people yeah, it's been good. It's been a really like neat little community that started following us. And I think one of the reasons why people enjoy following us is because it's giving more of a real description of what it's like. I think a lot of people are starting to get into homesteading and, you know, getting chickens and growing vegetables. And, you know, for us, we use YouTube as a huge resource, but we would go and, you know, search, how do you butcher chicken? And some, some 20 year farmer goes up and he does the thing and it's butchered and he's got this perfect looking chicken and it took him 10 minutes and you go, great, I can do that. And then you go and do it and you'd be like, well, that did not go at <laughs> Three all. hours later, right? Yeah. 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 Out there with headlamps on trying to finish our last chicken at 11 o'clock at night. And yeah. we go, well, that's not how that went at all. So we've kind of really tried to give an honest interpretation of our failures, what it was really like you know, the emotions of taking an animal and it's, we're not experts. We're not giving you expert advice. We're giving you the amateur experience. Yeah. yeah. The, the, like real experience. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And was there anybody that you interacted with over the year that stands out? Like with, on the Island, you mean with people that we work on? Uh, no, on YouTube, interacting on with YouTube. you on your YouTube channel. Yeah. There was, yeah. Rob, Rob Greenfield was a big inspiration, yeah. I think for us. And, you know, yeah. he's down, uh, in Florida and done a lot of things with kind of living off the land and raising his own food. So he was an inspiration for us for sure. And yeah, Jake and Nicole and what they're doing on their YouTube channel and right. They're, they're far more off grid than us. We're in much more of a rural setting. So, but yeah, we watched a ton of channels learning different things from different people. So it was nice. a really, a really useful resource. I think. It's, cool. It's, yeah. It's cool to get a bunch of different perspectives and exactly everyone has their own way of doing things. So always mm -hmm. trying to look for the best way to do something or time efficient because there's always so much to do <laughs> all right so i'm going to put you both on the spot takeaways one takeaway for the year each i think my biggest takeaway would be like the confidence that i've gotten through this oh. journey. i think um before it's not something i'd ever think about nothing i'd want to embark on just because i didn't think i could and throughout the whole challenge, I think every aspect has just made me become more, more of a confident person and um, really rely on myself and, and also be able to create a really great relationship with Chris because we were quite new when we started this challenge and, and it's just, it's been, yeah, more confidence in me and us. Nice. Yeah. That was yeah. really sweet. Thanks, Steph. Yeah. <laughs> well, now mine's not going to sound as sweet. <laughs> oh, yes, it yeah. will. Fine. Never does. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my biggest takeaway is just how detached, you know, most people are from their food, as were we before we started this, and, and just how reliant we are on, you know, big agriculture and corporations and these big grocery chains for our food and how little control that we actually have over it and how much we take it for granted. And I think now that we provided our own food and have, you know, those days where we run out of salt and we go, Oh, we've got to go <laughs> up the ocean and scoop the water. And then it's going to take, you know, a day to reduce and do all these things. And, you know, you could buy a packet in the store for two bucks, but it's, you have a new appreciation for it. I think, especially with on, you know, taking the life of an animal that really puts things yeah. in perspective as well as someone who's always grown up eating meat. Yeah. I'll never look at it the same way and definitely have a new, new appreciation. Wow. And you made your own salt. 
Yeah. Made our own salt from yeah. the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. yeah. So we, yeah. we grew stevia as a sugar substitute. We grew a very small amount of wheatgrass and we'd eat the young shoots for nutrition like you'd see in a health store. And then we'd mm-hmm. let that up into wheat and we'd mill that down into a very, very small amount of flour. So I think, I think one time in the year, we got to make Yorkshire puddings with our pork and like different things like that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Wow. Well, how exciting. Thank you for sharing that. I would say it's been quite the year learning, uh, learning all the things and everything we've gone through for sure. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that fairy and what you might've learned from it. Probably our, our most devastating, I'd say failure was um, just with the bee, bees that we had gotten. We're first time beekeepers and Pender can be a little bit hard to beekeep in the winter just because it gets really moist and uh, winds are pretty bad and that sort of thing. So we were really determined to make it through the winter with these bees, but um, unfortunately they didn't make it. Aww. And we kind of got to start a little bit from scratch next year and um, figure out how we can do better or if it's something that we can we can change. But bees were what we were like super excited for. Yeah, sometimes you can try your best and try to make everything work, but even still it just doesn't pan out the way you are hoping. And your biggest success? Yeah, what was your biggest success? I mean, I think the, honestly, the biggest success I think was just sticking with it. We never really thought we were going to run out of food, especially after the first couple of months, but things got monotonous. You're eating a lot of the same things and, you know, you just kind of still, you still have those temptations where you're like, oh, I just want a cheeseburger. I want these things. And <laughs> so, yeah, I think sticking with it and being stubborn was a, a big help for us. We're also super lucky that we, like I said, we live on a very small island. So, uh, we don't get away with anything here. People knew what we were doing in the challenge. So I think if, you know, if we walked into the local pub and asked for a beer, they would only think they'd serve it to us. No. <laughs> yeah. At points it, it got a little bit almost isolating too, because you're debating, Oh, do I want to go and hang out with friends where there's going to be all these temptations and they're going to be drinking or they're going to be enjoying their meals. And I have to sit there with a chicken leg and a water. (laughs) So I think that was kind of um, a little bit hard, but I think once we got into the groove of things and it was challenging, but it was successful in the end, I think. Nice. And what drives you? I think um, what drives me is just seeing how much of a shift it was not only in our health, but our personality and communication how rewarding this kind of lifestyle can be. I think that just like ultimately like put a lot of drive into what we were doing and, and knowing that there there's a better way of life out there. Yeah. Out of the, out of the rat race. Yeah. It's been nice. Yeah. And a book recommendation for our listeners. Yeah. This is kind of one of our other um, inspirations. There's a, a lady called uh, Barbara Kingsolver who wrote oh, yes. vegetable miracle. So um, that was a book that we read at the beginning of the challenge. It was uh, a story about her family who had kind of moved up north and out of the city and was, you know, producing all their own food or knew the farms that they were getting it from. So that was a, a big inspiration for us. And uh, we certainly admire them and people that do that with children, because I don't think, oh, you know, we just had us right? <laughs> doing this with a bunch of young kids as well. That would have been a whole, yeah. a whole nother level to it. Yeah. 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 Barbara Kingsolver, this is, uh, you're the third person in the past month that has referred me to that book because of, wow. you know, our move, you know, we're making a big move. So yeah. I hear you universe. It's time for me to read it again. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and well, yeah they, moved, 
they move to a colder climate as well. So I'm sure there'll be a bit of a right experience. Yeah. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? We, yeah, we've been asked this before and it sounds kind of funny because we our, our answer around the way is that don't do what we do and go so extreme. <laughs> but I think it's that you can you can do little things to start and just start paying more attention to your food and you know do some research and find out what you know if you're even if you're an apartment in the city but you have parks nearby or forests nearby what weeds are edible or what mushrooms grow at your the sea level that you're at and all these sort of different things that are around you or and grow things that you like put a tomato plant yeah. on your balcony or or bite off what you can chew but mm-hmm. uh, and what you want to eat and it's amazing what's out there and you can you can start with yeah start with start with what you like for sure and mm-hmm. and what you know you're going to consume if you don't like kale don't make kale your first planting thing because it won't <laughs> right? successful when it works. <laughs> yeah, I, I do a fruit tree program here in Phoenix. And for many years, people would ask me, what fruit tree should I plant? It's like, what do you like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What will you eat? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. 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 Oh my gosh. It has been every bit of as much of a delight as I expected. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Chris and stuff. Thank you so Thank much for having, for having us. Having great. us. Yeah. So how can people find out more and, and, you know, see you guys in action? Yeah. If people want to uh, go back and follow our first year journey, or we're actually um, just about to start our second year of the challenge here after indulging for a little bit. So we'll be starting up on year two and working on some other plans as well. I think a couple of things from the challenge that we took away that we didn't feel good about was, you know, still buying some animal feed. So this year we're going to be trying to raise more of our own feed for our animals Mm. and potentially putting in solar as well because we use a lot more electricity to produce a lot more of our own stuff. So people can follow along with that on YouTube or Facebook and Instagram, all under Lovin' Off The Land. That's L-O-V-I-N. Correct. Lovin' Off The Land. Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining me today. It was a it was a gift for me that I got both of you because we weren't originally going to have both yeah. of you. Yeah. So it's great to see we're on zoom and it's great to see your smiling face and we can definitely hear the fun and joy in your voices. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having us. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash loving off the land. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the urban farm podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule, and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.